to Koshian Cast, the clip show of anime podcasts. My name is Matt, and joining me today is a special guest, Matt. Hi! Hey! Um, uh, it's the ninth week of the, the fall anime season, Matt, and uh, oh. we're about to cover every sports anime that aired between November 26th and December 2nd. What do you think about oh. that? Uh, I'm pretty excited, considering the fact that we've really technically only got three. I mean, we technically have four shows this week, right. but uh, well, well, we'll get to two car in a little bit. Yeah. Um. So, as far as I'm aware, we don't really have any new. Uh, we don't have any news or announcements. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I do have a question for you, though. Okay. Okay. So Matt, as you people may or may not realize, we both are we both study foreign languages. Well. Um, okay. Well, you don't really so far anymore, but you are a uh, you are fairly proficient in Spanish. Sure. Um, oh, wait. I have a question. C. <laughs> it's like I'm talking to it's like I'm talking to a master. I know. I know. Um, Jose. Jose. I, <laughs> I do have a quick question for you. Okay. Um, what is your favorite word that you have learned in Spanish? Oh man. Uh, putting me on the spot. Uh, you go first, because clearly you have you have something in mind. Okay, well, I mean, obviously I can't do Spanish. Uh, I am currently studying Japanese, though. Uh-huh. Um, so, as a, like, I would, so, for me, the it's going to sound weird. The, the, uh, the word that really means a lot to me in Japanese is actually kane, uh, which is uh, money, essentially. The reason why I like uh, I like it so much is because it when I was start I, because it was one of the first kanji I had learned where I had felt like I was legitimately learning like an entirely new language an entirely new writing system like because it was so strange and different from anything else I had ever learned right like because you know in English we have you know. Our, our vocabulary is based around just our alphabet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Japanese, though, like, they have, like, a basic phonetic alphabet, the hiragana and katakana uh, alphabet sets. But, like, otherwise, kanji is basically just representations of other words, or can be u- or you can use them in compounds. Uh, so, kane, even though I had learned some other kanji, because I would learned the kanji for, like, numbers and maybe, like, fire and water ahead of time, like, that was the first symbol I had learned where it really felt like I was learning, like, this was, like, this was a new language to me. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, yeah. mine is, uh, chicharrones. Oh, okay. Which, uh, means pork rinds. <laughs> um, and... <laughs> Uh, it's kind of a similar story in that um, I started taking Spanish when I was a freshman in high school, and that was, for some reason, within the first couple weeks of Spanish 1, um, we learned the word chicharrones. You know, it was um, along with a number of other food vocabulary, uh, but okay. even at the time, we thought it was hilarious that one of the first words we learned was pork rinds, which is something that none of us talk about <laughs> otherwise. Right, right. But for some reason, we were expected to know the word for pork rinds in a new language. And uh, so we all sort of fixated on it and then spent the next four years trying to incorporate chicharrones <laughs> as often as possible into our conversation or our writing. You'd be like, you know, so uh, for some... for I, I just... 
that that word for me is funny to as like an inside joke with people who are I'm never around just of working in chicharrones into every situation possible just as a laugh um, right so it, off the top of my head i have to say that's that's my favorite one. Oh, okay i did not know that about you yeah well hey we all we all learn things um <laughs> that was a dumb sentence uh we all learn things uh hey, you know um, what else we're gonna learn we're gonna learn about march comes in like a lion that was gonna be my transition hey well we all transition things um <laughs> so <laughs> Uh, March comes in like a lion, episode thirty. Can you believe it? Wow. Um, so uh, starts off with Hayashida, who's Ray's a former homeroom teacher, uh, kind of talking with Ray about what to do about Hina's situation. He really wants to go over and talk to the teacher himself. They end up deciding not to do that. Ray realizes that him coming to that family and offering them a bunch of money isn't going to help and would probably weird them out so they don't end up coming to any conclusions but they sort of commiserate over it um the focus of this episode is on nikaido uh because the uh nikaido lost his semi-final match so ray will be facing the newcomer champ yamazaki in the finals um he ends up running into shimada when he finds out about nikaido and overhears a conversation about how Nikaido is currently in a hospital in Osaka, and he can't come home. Like, he's detained. He, he's unable to, to move from the hospital. He's in kind of serious condition. And Ray realizes that he's been left out, and everybody knows what's going on with Nikaido except him. Uh, so we get an extended flashback about Shimada's history uh, with Nikaido, of sort of mentoring him and... Uh, observing him try to overcome his illness, but Nikaido does have a chronic uh, illness, and he's just been battling it as long as he's been playing Shogi. Um, So by the end of the episode, uh, Ray sort of decides that he wants to honor Nikaido uh, for striving in the only way he was capable of striving by uh, going to the finals. Right. Um, So this is going to be kind of weird. My takeaway from this... Uh, actually had nothing to do with, like, the main plot or, like, you know, kind of the main focus of the episode. It was weirdly on, uh, it was on Akari because we found out more of the situation of their home situation there. Um, did we, because I had... I don't think they ever mentioned their father before. Right. So, in this episode as well, they mention that, uh, Akari's father, and, you know, the girl's father, he's actually, like, he left their mother... And he's off married happily with a, another woman, and they might have another child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, like, I had just assumed that the father had died along with the mother. Yeah, exactly. That's That somehow makes the situation all the more heartbreaking to me. Mm-hmm. Just because it's like, they do have somebody that could help support them. He just chooses not to. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, like, that, that sort of, that kind of weirded me out almost a little bit. What do you mean weirded you out? Well, just like on the fa- on the basis that this guy could be just so callous to his own like children. Yeah, and basically. from what it sounds like, he still lives near. Like it's not like they don't know where he's at. You know, he's still relatively Ooh. nearby. He just disconnected. Right. It's just like he just completely disconnected from that entire family situation. 
Um, and I can't tell, but they mentioned that he did this before or after the mother I don't think died. they said, but my impression is it was before, just based on the way they framed those images at their mother's funeral, where it was just the girls. Um, right. My assumption was that he was already out of the picture, but again, I don't, I, they, right. I don't think they've said for certain. Right, because my because the only thing I could think of is possibly the father was just grieving so hard about the uh, the wife's death that he basically just completely ran away because he couldn't deal with the pressure of raising his own kids, basically. Yeah. Which is a real problem, from what I understand, in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because there is this mentality that, you know, the father... go You know, it, you know we have it here in the U.S. as well, but it's still... Ve- but, you know, we've kind of worked past that a little bit. In the U.S., because in Japan, I do know that there is a very, there's kind of a big problem over there of fathers basically not being present their entire child's life, basically. Mm-hmm. And, like, because the whole expectation is that, the, is that you know, it's the, you know, it's woman's work. It's the mother's work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I took the situation. The fact that he's just like, well, it's not my responsibility to raise my, these kids. That was, that was hers. And she's gone now, so... I really have no more attachment to this family. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. It just, it, it was very minor, but it just said a whole lot to me. Uh, it said a whole lot more about their situation to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, uh, as far as Nikaido goes with his backstory, I appreciated them fleshing it out. I don't think there was anything that surprised me, per se. Right. Um, so, I'm not... I'm not sure how much I got out of this that I didn't already know. That's my one thing. It was perfectly pleasant, and it was cool to see, you know, little kid Nikaido and uh, sort of the fact that he knew he was sick, he knew he was weak, he knew he didn't have very many options in life, and that he decided to dedicate himself as much as he could to Shogi because it was the one thing he could do. So seeing that, I mean, I thought it was a, a... a small story well told um right but i don't know how much new information we got you know i thought it was kind of neat too the way that this sort of subtly explained nikaido's design because you know we don't see a lot of like kind of fat characters Mm. at least not ones that aren't treated as complete jokes i mean nikaido has always been treated a little bit as a joke but never like at the expense of his weight yeah it wasn't because he was fat he was just goofy and he was round. kind of goofy and boisterous, yeah, kind yeah. of. Like, he was a little, maybe a little bit too over-eager. That, that's always where the source of comedy from Nikaido. Like, it never made fun of him for his weight. Right. Um, and I think what was interesting to me about that is that this sort of backstory in him did sort of kind of subtly sneak that in, you know, why he's that weight. It's because they mentioned that Nikaido literally cannot, like, perform physical activity with this weakness. I mean, you know, he can kind of, like, move and walk around or whatnot, whatnot but, you know, like actually like going out and exercising is actually like too much for him to handle or else mm-hmm. he will like collapse basically. Right. So I, I thought that was kind of a neat way that the, his weight sort of didn't really foreshadow it, but it was kind of like, it's kind of like one of those parts. It's like, Oh, okay. So that's why he's having that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, I did also like that. Th- there was one small moment in the backstory there. I did appreciate, which was, um, Shimada actually meant like basically the whole thing with uh with Nikaido was that everybody was kind of looking down on him because you know they saw he was this rich kid who had a butler and he was out like you know ordering him around and stuff like that um and you know kind of in like I think what was interesting to me about that was that 
we uh, we heard about how people's expectations through Shimada. Like, because Shimada's, like, supposed to be an adult here, and even he's thinking to himself, eh, this dumb brat, he's just here because this is probably just a passing fancy to it for him. He's not, like, a real shogi player. Yeah, exactly. He hasn't had to work for it. Right. And and I thought that was kind of interesting, because it does show Shimada as being... Because he's, he's been kind of our... Kind of our hero throughout the series. Yeah, like, although if we there haven't is a seen hero. him this season. You're right, right. This was our first uh, introduction to him this season. Okay. Uh, and I thought that was interesting at the very least that they, uh, that the original author decided to actually, like, sort of downplay Shimada a little bit. They kind of take him down, because, you know, he's human. He's human like everybody else. You know, he's, you know, that's his natural assumption is like, oh, there's this punk rich kid. He's just, he doesn't care about this. Um, kind of almost like looking down on a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, yeah, it felt kind of... Because we know where Nikaido ends up, it felt like, oh, it's one more guy that's bullying him. And right. I, there were a couple shots in there where there was um, people were talking about Nikaido and sort of loudly complaining about the rich kid and how spoiled he was and how they couldn't wait for him to get defeated. Um, and you could tell by the way he walked that he heard everything. Right. But it was just sort of like, he was just used to it at this point, almost. Yeah. Like, he didn't, like, let it get to him because, I mean, really, why does he care? Like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I, I think you kind of hit it on the head there. It, it was a fine episode. There wasn't really a whole lot to take away from it outside of, again, sort of setting Ray's resolve for this tournament because this kind of adds to the stakes of the arc of this tournament arc that we have here. Because not only because it seems like Hina's future has already been sort of been tied to this victory, and now we've also got Nikaido tied to this as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, it, it's kind of, this is just sort of a raising the stakes episode. Yeah, totally. Um, you know what else has stakes? Were they raised? Well, you know what, I'm gonna go back on that transition, because <laughs> I'm not sure that Welcome to the Ballroom does have stakes, because there don't appear to be meaningful or believable consequences to victory or defeat. Uh, well, so you want to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay, so we're covering episode 22 here. Uh, this was largely a Kugamiya backstory episode. We find out as a kid, a cat led him to a ball, ballroom, or like a dance studio, in which, and then he takes on lessons there, I guess, when he gets there. Uh, his teacher is a guy by the name of, he goes by Edichu. He has a, like a real name, but most people call him Edichu. Uh, and what we find is that this teacher, he just really likes, he just really hammers in the basics in kids. Uh, Kugamiya couldn't really keep up with, like, some of the other appearing monsters in the world, like Sengoku. He was feeling a lot of pressure from people like that. And, like, competing with people like that, and he just, he couldn't really keep up. So, he gets super depressed, uh, and basically just kind of wants to die, and actually, like, walks out in front of a car, gets hit by a car... Uh, but miraculously, he's not injured enough to, uh, get, like, he's not, like, permanently injured. He just has to rehabilitate himself, and then he can get back into dance. Uh, and then around that time is when he moves into, uh, Marissa's studio to give it another shot. Uh, the, uh, quick step begins, and Tadara starts entering his, uh, super dance mode that he entered, that he was at, at the, uh, the previous tournament. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so Matt, thoughts? 
Thoughts? Great question. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, my biggest thought was I didn't really care that much about Kugamiya before. Right, like, and he's been... I'm not sure I do now. Right. Like, they've been kind of setting up Kugamiya as being the big bad villain of this arc. We haven't really gotten a lot of focus on him. We haven't really been given a lot of reason to, like, dislike him. Yeah. I mean, I don't like him, but I don't like... It, but it's not really because of anything that the series has intentionally done. It's just, okay, he's kind of a jerk. Like, he's been a little bit of a jerk, but he's also barely interacted with Tatara. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I don't really care about Tatara proving him wrong. Uh, I never really got a good sense of, like, what I, uh, ideology he was supposed to represent. I mean, so ostensibly like, he's supposed to represent traditional dance. Right, right. right. That's that's what I... I, I didn't... Sorry, I meant to... I meant to go further with that. I didn't understand what he was supposed to represent before this, like, before oh, the story. Yeah. Okay. Like, maybe, la they kind of hinted at it last season with the fact that, you know, Kugamiya has very solid basics. But, like, we never really got a sense of, like, what his dance was like before this episode. Better than Tadara's. That's all you got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. Like, he's just, he's a better dancer than Tadara. He was kind of, he was once a great dancer, and now he's trying to make a comeback. Like, that's pretty much all I got. Um, there were a couple of small details I liked. Like, I did kind of like his uh, mentor's story, which was like, look, man, look, man, you were, like, way more talented than I realized you were going to be. Uh, I'm just some old guy who likes Western dance. Yeah. Um, like, I didn't realize you were going to be this talented. Um, you really need a new mentor, is basically what he said. Like, I'm not a good enough mentor for you. Which, I, I thought that was kind of an... You know, it, it's a twist. Yeah. It, it's kind of a fun turn on, a on, like, the backstory. Yeah, I mean, there's something empathetic about the fact that he is trying to prove to everyone that, he, that his first master wasn't wrong and that his style right. of dance is just as legitimate as newer styles and that that motivation is sort of what brought him back from uh despair and self-destructive behavior right uh so like that i like that well enough i'm not sure though that with two episodes left that's the story they needed to tell yeah like he's just because like up until now like i barely i have barely even thought about kugamiya you know like it just it hasn't like i'm not really invested in the story of the arc mm -hmm. like in like this main competition yeah partially because i'm also not really invested in tadara's story i have no real desire to see tadara overcome kugamiya uh, and that's kind of the core issue here. So it's like, if I don't care about Tadara overcoming uh, Kugamiya, why should I care about where Kugamiya comes from in the first place? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's really... That's it. A, that's it. Yeah, kind of. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. All right. So episode nine of Two Car. Uh... Um, it, I believe that's mine to cover, Matt. Oh, yeah. Why am I talking? I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, okay, so, episode nine of Two Car. I mean, it's fine, Matt, because this episode was just a clip show. Yeah, mostly. It was, like, mostly. three quarters a clip episode. 
Yeah. Um, and then at the very end, we see the start of the tournament that's going to finally bring them into, <laughs> like, that's finally going to get them to the Isle of Man. And we've probably had the most relevant plot twist we've had. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, we had two. First of all, apparently Yuri and Megumi have just suddenly decided, hey, let's make up. Yeah. And then the second plot point is uh, their coach is there, Coach, coach Tanahashi. And we actually see his face. Yeah, he's the first male to have a face in this show. So, show, and especially with the backstory of the twins, I just assumed that we were just never going to see a dude. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because they were so determined to kind of keep that knowledge from us, the fact that there could even be boys around them. Yeah, exactly. But no, like, there he is. There is his face. It's not interesting, but it's there. Yeah, it exists. <laughs> it exists, and it's like, I don't understand what the reveal, because it was treated as a big reveal. Yeah, it's like, yeah, that's a male face, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow, oh my god, like, this was, because it's like, they legitimately built it up because they were doing a panning shot up to his head, and it was kind of like cutting between the girls, like, reacting, it's like, it's you! And then finally, the episode ends, resting on his face. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's a face, alright, I don't know what his face is supposed to mean. Yeah, he, that... That he has one. He has one, which is surprising considering the fact that we've never seen a boy's face in this. Yeah. But, you know. There we go. Um, yeah. I don't know. It was uh, It was clearly, you know, designed as they were trying to find a creative way to cover the fact that they couldn't keep up. And they couldn't afford to make another full episode. So <laughs> right. they had about 15 minutes of clips, maybe 12 minutes of clips and they used that they, they created this story where oh no it's a uh, movie that they made in order to show how we got to this point so they made a movie about right. all the different teams and then they made another movie about Yuri and Megumi and we got to see their reconciliation because they're right. they decided just... you know hey uh, why are we always arguing we're even if we do see coach again on the isle of man uh it's not like he's gonna come back to japan with us what do we really think is gonna happen uh maybe we should just be friends okay that's all yeah, it took like th yeah that's literally all it took i also want to point out how utterly confusing that sequence was because in the middle of the sequence they kept flashing back to their like to their background um, as if, the, you know, going through this video, because they have two different videos that are playing through this. First, yeah. they have the interdiction of the girls, and then they also have the story of these two girls' romance with their coach, quote-unquote. Mm -hmm. And, they keep, and like, during this whole reconciliation scene, they keep cutting back to this other video with absolutely no prompting whatsoever. Um, and not only that, but for some weird reason, they have the two announcer girls dubbing over their voices. There's absolutely no setup for this. But it's like literally they're going through like the serious moment and then all of a sudden it just cuts back to their backstory. Just completely out of nowhere. Yeah. It was weird. It was yeah. weird. Uh, and um, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything well, I guess what else did we learn? So uh, Um I do have something I learned. Okay. Um I didn't I finally realized the uh, the gimmick between the Osakan girls beyond just being Osakan. Yeah, uh, they're supposed to be like a comedy duo, so it's playing on that. Yeah, because it's playing on the whole... Because, so apparently, uh, in Japan, the stereotype of Osaka is that, like, comedians come from there, because that's where uh, 
that's where the Monzai style of comedy originated from, yeah. which is basically the straight guy, uh, comic guy routine. Yeah. So they are supposed to be that. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know. It's like, and the funny thing is, in this clip episode, they're trying to talk, they're talking about, it's like, oh, you know, those wacky Osaka girls. Like, you know, you remember these scenes where they were being a comedy duo? And it's like, no, mm-hmm. that, that was a comedy routine? Yeah, it's, I have to say, it's, it's hilarious to me that, this show gave two episode arcs to half the girls and then just gave up. Yeah, just like completely gave up. Gave up because now we're on back to Yuri and Megumi. Exactly. Um, and it's like they had enough episodes to just do two girls an episode. Yeah. No. Uh, the other thing I learned is, and maybe this was said before. Okay. But this is the national tournament. So this is like the final tournament for high school girls Nila racing. Right. They still haven't established how these girls got picked. Are they the only Nilo racers in Japan? Possible. <laughs> Very possible. Um, because there don't appear to be any other qualifications other than being in high school and having a bike. Um, but the other the other thing that kind of really threw me is, so the, the whole time they've been talking about, oh, if you win, you get to race on the Isle of Man. And I'm like, okay, they're going to go... And compete against other high school girls. Makes sense. What they revealed in this episode, nope. They're going to go and compete uh, for the world championship against professional <laughs> racers who are adults. And I'm like, so why Why is there an automatic... Like, you know, presumably this wor- World Cup of Nilo racing has certain slots allocated to different national tournaments or regional tournaments or whatever. And one of those slots is for Japanese high school girls. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why? There's clearly professional kneeler racers, because we saw that in the last episode. Right, like, we've seen adult women do this. So, only, is it only, or is it in addition to, like, the Japanese send, like, a college team and an adult team and a high school team and they all race each other? Because that seems crazy. Like, that doesn't seem like a, like... Why are there not age groups for this? Why um, aren't there age groups? Why are they mixing professional racers with amateur racers? Because these girls right. are in high school. They're not getting paid. How can they participate in a professional competition against adults? <laughs> but everyone just says it like, obviously, that's what we're going to do. Whoever wins here goes for the World Cup. Okay, I guess. I, so, I, the only thing I can make sense of during this... um. We we have, like, there has to have been some sort of qualifying round to get to this tournament. Sure, I right? guess. Yeah. Because we did see in the very first set of stories here with the rich girl and the poor girl uh-huh. that they, uh, they had a race in the flashback there that was unrelated to the race that they are on right now. Oh, um, yeah. Like, it was not on the island. It was a completely different racetrack. I do distinctly remember this. I don't know why, but I remember it. I thought, Uh, somehow in my mind, that was a practice. They were just practicing on that track. Were there other bikes there? I think there were other bikes. Because they were in a race. That's uh, That's why the driver ended up going, like going too fast and not being considerate. I'm pretty sure that there were other racers there. So there did have to be some sort of qualifier for this. Uh That being said, I don't blame you for not, like, for being, for questioning this, because that is literally the only other instance we have ever seen of any of these girls ever racing otherwise. And it wasn't explicitly stated. Right, like, we have to kind of figure this out for ourselves. 
like how this world even works. Right. Hmm. Um, and even that, that's not really much of an explanation. It's just like, okay, so there were other races other way, like in other places. So I guess we can kind of assume yeah. there was there was there were other tournaments and this is the final one. It still doesn't answer why professional and amateur racers are racing together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh it it's very confusing. It's it's also funny that Hitomi and Mao are just like they don't spend any time with the other girls. They just go off and do their own thing and no one knows where they are. Right. All the time. I don't know. That was just kind of a funny detail that got thrown in. It's like, uh, no one knows what they're doing, but they just go yeah, off they're and do just, their own they're... thing. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. And yet we see them more than most of the other girls. Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> um, all right, Matt, do you want to talk about uh, Big Wind Up? Oh, please. Okay, let's do it. All right, so this was uh, episode seven of the uh, second season of Big Wind Up. Um, it starts off with the fourth game for Nishiura, uh, and then the game's over. So they don't really go into <laughs> it. Um, Nishiura wins. It's fine. Most of it, they, they show parts of the first inning, uh, but then pretty much skip over the rest and just say that, you know, Nishiura gave up three runs, but they were able to win, and it wasn't particularly close. Um, right. The focus here, that will the the first half focus is on Bijo, their next opponent, who is at the game and they're scouting um, Nishiura. Uh, they reveal that they actually tried to recruit Tajima to play for them. Um, and then the second half of the episode is focused on um, the families of the Nishiura players uh, meeting right. up and talking to each other early on. And uh, then... and. Um, Mahashi going home and talking to his dad, and Abe going home and talking to his dad. So it's sort of it's building up the adult characters in a way that really hasn't been done before. Right. Um, and then by the end of the episode, it just sort of leads into the beginning of the Bijou game itself. Right. I, I thought it was kind of interesting that the that Mihashi's father was kind of treated as an anti-reveal. Yeah, like, he was just there. <laughs> Yeah, he was just there. It's just like, I mean, and it's true. Like, he must have been there all this time. But there are a lot of sports series where it's like the parents are just sort of this sort of, like, mythical, like... Like, they're sort of in the background and you never really hear about them at all. But you know that they're, like, around. Mm -hmm. And, like, generally whenever you see them, it's kind of treated as a big reveal. And it's like, yeah, we haven't seen Mihashi's father up until now. I honestly didn't even think he was going to, like, play any sort of role. But, yeah, no, he was just there at home one day. And he's like, hey, son, brought home some Anju. You want some? Mm -hmm. like yeah and it was just like oh well why hasn't he been in any of the games and they're like well I mean, he was at work yeah like, he was just at work okay he, i guess you know, that he, makes sense yeah i mean he'll be able to come to his son's next game because he won't have work yeah like okay cool <laughs> I, I also don't know why i was expecting him to look more like mihashi like well he does I, I his mouth does his face and his... mouth look like mihashi like and his facial expressions look like him and i really liked i thought that was funny um right. he has sort of the same goofy like open mouth facial reactions right um so you can kind of see how he got traits from both family from like both parents mm -hmm. you kind of see that with like all the all, like all of the characters to be honest like they they clearly look like their parents but not like so much yeah they like, don't go the lazy route and just make them twins right exactly yeah no they, um, the, the parents are well designed i kind of like their interaction i mean it, it wasn't world changing but it, w it was funny to see something that feels so real where a bunch of adults who their kids hang out and they're like, oh, yeah, I've 
heard about your son from my son and like i think our husbands know each other from like right. school stuff but like i haven't talked to you so it's nice to meet you, you know like <laughs> there was a full five minutes that was just like adult small talk <laughs> which seems and i'm pretty sure like you and me are like the only people who would actually be interested in that aspect of like a sports series sure. but but you know it's like it, it gives it gives the series some life you know it doesn't make it feel like it's just like like, th- that the world doesn't only revolve about around this sport, you know? It's like, this is kind of an, you know, for the parent, you know, for the kids, this is like everything. But, you know, for the parents, it's just kind of this fun day out. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I get to watch my son play this game. And, you know, it's, it's kind of relatable because we remember the, our parents having those discussions ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... And, and I think it helps as well that the, uh, that the writer of this series was, is actually, like, a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of adds sort of, it, it, like, because you know that she must have gone through these exact sort of situations herself. Yeah, and just adds... meeting people from school and having to talk about it. So, like, there, there, there's a sense where she sympathizes with the parents in a way that a lot of sports anime don't. Right, exactly. Because it's like, because a lot of sports anime, they kind of resent adulthood. They sort of, they kind of push against it. It's kind of like, you know, from even all out, like... Like, which was kind of one of our favorites from uh, from when we started the show. Like, you know, even All Out kind of has this sort of like, you know, we're not going to have happy adult lives, so let's live while we can now. Mm-hmm. And here it's just like, yeah, being an adult is perfectly normal, guys. Like, yeah. th- this is just kind of how it is. Like, it's fine. Like, does this look terrible to you? Because it's like, I'm going to be honest, it doesn't look terrible to me. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I think otherwise this episode was mostly pushing like the plot point that we had kind of theorized from last episode which was that this game is going to revolve around around a lot about Mihashi having to learn some independence from Abe. Yeah, there was a lot of conversations with um like Abe's dad talked to Mihashi right. and he sort of intuited that Mihashi was afraid of Abe, which he was, right. but was also afraid to admit and sort of pressing Abe on whether he was actually able to have a productive relationship with Mahashi, saying, like, hey, you don't have to be friends, but, like, do you have a functional two-way relationship? And Abe's like, yeah, of course I do, Dad, shut up! Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, you know, there's, there's more of Abe doubting himself, and then... Mahashi gets worried because Abe's doubting himself and he blames himself. And so you're seeing, like, oh, this is not... Like, it's not necessarily damaging, but it's not a super healthy relationship either because they're not able to communicate both ways. You know, they both have a lot of hang-ups in terms of being able to be open about their feelings. Right, like, Mihashi is, like, afraid to even mention to Abe that, like, the cafeteria that they may be going to might be closed, or is probably closed, because he just assumes, oh, well, Abe probably knows something more than I do. Yeah. Like, um... And, like, and the interesting thing is that Bijo has apparently kind of caught on to this. Like, they kind of note that the, that Mihashi doesn't seem to really perform any signs for himself. He's But it's it's always the pitcher. Yeah. Or, like, it's it's always Abe. So it's pretty clear that they're going to figure out some way to kind of get around this. Well, yeah. I mean, what was interesting is they said, okay, there's no there's only one factor. So when we're trying to figure out what the pitch mix is going to be, the only thing we have to figure out is Abe's preferences because Mihashi is never going to shake him off. So if we can figure out in what situations Abe calls for what pitches, 
then we know what's coming every time. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. Like, I'm pretty sure in this game, in the first few innings, uh, Nishiro is going to get behind and get get behind seriously because right. there's going to be no everything that Abe's going to do to try to adapt. They'll have already seen him do before, right? And they'll be able to predict it. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, can I tell you the the one thing I really hope changes, or not hope changes? The one plot point I really want to see. What's that? I want to see someone other than Abe catching, and or someone other than Mihashi pitching. Like, oh, I, you know, I just want to see something fundamentally different from right that premise. Because, I mean, they set that up in the first season. Like, you have to imagine it's going to come out at some point. Yeah, exactly. Like, even uh, Coach Momo mentioned that, uh, like, Mihashi... Or, like, that Tajima gets along better with Mihashi than Abe does. And that's why he should be, like, the backup catcher. Mm -hmm. So, I could almost... Like, if this series actually did continue further, I could almost see them doing something like... Tajima comes in, plays the role of catcher, and helps them win the game again. It almost makes Tajima too domin uh, dominant of a force on this team. Mm. Uh, and they'd have to work around that. But that's kind of like theorizing for things that we're not even going to be able to see. Yeah, exactly. Sadly. Yeah, well, maybe someday. Anyway, <laughs> Matt, uh, I, th I thank you and I appreciate you. Thanks for spending your time with me this week. I'm always happy to, Matt. Alright, we'll see you later. Bye! Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Cast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, and our email is koshiancast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We will be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime, and until then, keep training.